Welcome, everybody, to Books with Cooks, a podcast for bookies and foodies. Hi, I'm Jess. And I'm Alex. And we're two cousins who are also best friends who love to read. Yeah. And I love to cook. And I cook to survive. We'll be reviewing, analyzing, sometimes overanalyzing, and discussing the books we're currently reading, as well as new and old recipes from our kitchen to yours. By the way, we're real people with real families. So you may hear cats, dogs, birds, babies, and husbands. So enjoy that bonus material. Now let's get booking and have a tasty chat. listeners stick around at the end of this episode for some bloopers and bonus content before we get started we want to include some trigger warnings this book and the following discussion will include topics of drug addiction kidnapping ptsd anxiety sexual assault murder and suicide so please be aware of that before you proceed also just be aware that there will be cursing and spoilers in this episode so if that's something you're sensitive to or if you haven't read the book yet you may want to skip this episode and come back to it in the future Hey, 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 listeners, if you're enjoying our podcast, please give us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or your preferred streaming service to help us reach more listeners and spread the word about our podcast. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back. Hi, Hi, Jess. Hi, welcome back. What are you snacking on? To the snack. I'm not snacking on anything because I just had some pizza. Nice. uh, And I am full, like beyond full. But uh, I am drinking uh, my... My sugar-free Red Bull. Getting happy. <laughs> what are you eating? Uh, I have a packet of the Welch's fruit snacks oh. and seltzer and water. Nice. Yeah, I was craving something kind of sweet. That'll do it. The fruit snacks. Yeah. Doug used to be obsessed with them. He used to buy them like the giant bags. And he yeah. used to like eat them in five minutes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I've never seen anybody who hates sweets. Yeah. <laughs> devour a bag like that in five seconds. I've yeah. never seen him eat anything sweet. I've never seen him eat candy. This is actually shocking. Yep. Me. This is one of the only things that he'll like that's candy-esque. Hmm. Otherwise, he um he used to love Mike and Ike's, which is disgusting, in my opinion. But Ew, he used to yeah. love, yeah, he used to love them. And he used hmm. to devour them in seconds, too. And he doesn't eat them anymore now because... It has, you know, because they're garbage. Yeah, <laughs> they're terrible for you. Yeah. But yeah, he would like devour them. Hmm. So now you know his secrets. Yes. yes. All of you do. <laughs> I can't believe he likes Mike and Ike's. I've never met anybody in my life who likes Mike and Ike's before. It's the most random candy to like. <laughs> right? That was like it the is. one candy that if you like go trick-or-treating when you were younger and you've seen like a little box of it, you would be like, no. Yeah. Like, I was like, who's choosing aside that? And grab something better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which explains a lot because I used to try to go for like the the Starburst or the Skittles and that also is pure garbage. Oh, yeah. All of it is. All, all candy. There's nothing good about it. <laughs> no, nothing at all. Um, but speaking of good things, uh, before this, before we started uh, recording, me and Alex were having a great discussion. We had a good, we had a good conversation. We had a good conversation. Um, uh, yeah. Quite a few, actually. <laughs> I know. And I still want to talk about this. So... We were talking about the dust covers for several series, but you were showing me the ones for Akatar. 
and they're really, really beautiful. <laughs> yeah, there's this website. It's called Acrylipix. It's A-C-R-Y-L-I-P-I-C-S dot com. And they have like dust covers that you can get that are all like when you put them next to each other inside. When you put them over the books next to each other, they compile like scenes and they're gorgeous. And they don't even come with the books. And we were talking <laughs> about how that's kind of crazy, but also we want them. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. Yeah. They have the Throne of Glass series. Um, they have the Akatar series. And they're yeah. super pretty. And I was also watching a video of them packing somebody's stuff and including mm -hmm. all these little goodie extras. Oh, okay. I know. Yeah, I want to start collecting the hard copies of Throne of Glass with the pretty dust covers. Akatar, I need to wait until the series is finished because I refuse to not be able to get the same cover for the set. So I'm holding off on those, but I, I'm going to start with the, the Throne of Glass since it's finished at least. Yes. I do have a special copy of the Harry Potter series. I'm going to try to show it to you, but it's on my bookshelf and there's actually stuff on top of it right now. So I'm not going to try to get it because things are going to start falling, but it's really pretty. It's all of the books in like a case and it shows the, like it creates an image just like those dust covers and has the Gorgeous. castle. It's so pretty. Um, I'll take a picture of it later and send it to you. But for all like my special series, I feel like they need to have a special, special copy. Yeah. And you know what? Honestly, like collecting special editions is like a new love of mine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, I just I I feel like Schmeagel over here. Like I want mm -hmm. them all precious. He's my but precious. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this whole conversation came about because me and Alex are talking about Iron Flame um, and how it's coming out next month, but how also they are releasing another special edition of Fourth Wing. Yeah. And she's like, look, I pre-ordered it. And she's showing it to me. And I, I was like, girl, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't even like plan that, didn't talk about it. We were just like, we did it. It's yeah. Done. I, well, I saw it today for the first time because when Red Tower announced that they were releasing a special pre-order for the same day that Iron Flame was coming out, at first I was like, I posted a TikTok about this. It was like SpongeBob, like, I don't need it. I don't need it. Yeah, I need yes. it. That's exactly how I was because I kept being <laughs> like, you don't need it, Alex. You don't need it. But it was on sale. And I was like, it's got to be something special. So I ordered it. And then today I went on to my Amazon account because I was ordering something for my niece. And I saw the picture of it and I was like, what the hell? I didn't order that. And then I was like, oh, yes, I did. And then I got so excited and I was like, can't wait to tell Jess. And then she she had already done it as well and already knew. <laughs> but I'm excited yeah. because now I, I didn't have a hard copy of Fourth Wing. I only had a digital copy. So now I'll have a hard copy and it'll match the second one because that was important to me. So I'm, I'm like very excited and I know that this is super nerdy, but I don't care because I'm very excited about it. Well, you I know you to, are too. <laughs> yeah, of course I am, especially since I already have the physical copy and did not need this. Yeah. <laughs> I did it anyway. Because so that's they match. who I am. <laughs> you can't have one of the books in the series without sprayed edges and one with sprayed edges. It just won't look right. So now you're, you're going to have exactly. the right set. Exactly. It's not set. pretty. Uh, Okay, so there's a book coming out next month, uh, next month, next year, and I want to pre-order it. I have no idea if I'm going to love this book. I have no idea about any of it. I just know that, first of all, it sounds really cool. I'll tell you the little, like, premise of it. The book is gorgeous. Wait, I'm going to show you. And yeah, there's quite a few it. of these, too. Okay. First of all, I'm going through my, my list on Amazon. It's 
all books, I want you to know. Yeah. All books. <laughs> so I just have to scroll through 500 of them to get there. So hang on and bear with me. It's all books and randomly, look at this, randomly pink cooking wear. <laughs> You're <Okay>. so funny. <laughs> Bad. Of course, with the pink cookware. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Look, look, it just keeps going. The pink cookware. I must have found something one day and was just like, I want all every single this. one. Yeah. <laughs> I can't. Uh, oh, oh, and a trampoline. So apparently there is this foldable that you could pack and store quickly trampoline that's good for um, like fitness. And equivalent, I think it's like two minutes of jumping on this thing is equivalent to like running for a half hour or something. Oh, nice. Okay. So I'm like, and it's fun. Yeah. Oh, that actually reminds me. I think when we we were little, your mom had a little trampoline for fitness and she probably got rid of it. You you had a giant one in your yard. We had a big one in our backyard. But I remember your mom had one like for fitness, like exactly what you just got. And I just think it's funny, like 20 years later, things are coming back or however long, you know. Well, look, I watched a woman jumping on it and I was like, oh, this is stupid. <laughs> and by the end of watching her on the TikTok, I was like, all right, fine, I'll put it in my, I'll put it in my, <laughs> put it in my list. <laughs> it's in my list. Well, she convinced me, man. She was like, two minutes on this is equivalent to this, 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 you know, when they do that. Yeah. And like they do the list next to you. And on the list was everything that, like, literally you would do it at the gym. And I was like, well, well who the hell wouldn't want to do that? She's like, and I'm having the time of my life. I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, I want this thing. Yeah. This just popped up in my list. This isn't what I'm looking for. But this is that book you were saying. Look how pretty the special edition is. The pirate, uh, the daughter of the pirate king. I saw that. I know it is a pretty cover. I like it better it's than beautiful. the original cover. It looks like the ocean. Yeah. Love. It's a nice cover. I, I keep seeing that too. And I'm like, I should get it. And I'm like, no, I don't need it. I have no space for it. Like, it's fine. I can live without it. But it's really, really pretty. It is really pretty. Yeah. I think so, you would like that book too. It's really cute. Okay. I found the first one. So this book okay. looks gorgeous. It's called The Last. Look at this book. I love Ooh, the contrast. That is pretty. It's, it's called The Last One. It's by Rachel Hoswell Hall. She's a best-selling author. I haven't heard of her. But it's coming out April 2nd. And this is what it's about. You ready? Okay. First of all, do you like The Witcher? I mean, I, I know do. why you do like The Witcher. I like it aside from Henry Cavill. <laughs> okay. Well, it says for fans of The Witcher, I don't know. I don't know. It sounds exciting. It's definitely a fantasy. It says a young woman awakens in a field with no memory and learns that the world around her is dying and that she's the only one who can save it from an evil, destructive force, even herself. Mm. Like what? That's all it says. And I'm I'm intrigued by that. And and since it's so pretty, I'm like, all right, I guess I need this. I definitely <laughs> saw that on um I saw that s- on Amazon. I remember I'm looking s- at it. I'm sending you the link, but I'm gonna wait until it comes down in price because it's 26 bucks for some reason. Mm. And um it's because it's pretty. <laughs> it is freaking pretty. But I'm gonna send it to you because we might have to check this book out when it comes a little closer to April. The other book. Oh, what is my dark Romeo about? I think it's a dark romance. Right. I'm not not 100% sure. Hold on, I'll because, look it up for you real quick. Because the special edition of that is just gorgeous. It's beautiful to look at. You see it? Oh, yeah, that is pretty. I know. And on the back, too, it's just like, oh, look, cherubs and angels. Yeah. I'm actually looking at it right now on uh, Goodreads. They have that. Yeah, even when you take the dust cover off, look at it. It's so pretty. Yeah. I don't really know much about it, but I had seen somebody reading it. And it is free on Kindle Unlimited. So maybe I could check it out and see if I like it first. I think it might be a retelling of Romeo and Juliet. 
says author's notes. My Dark Romeo is a standalone, reluctant, arranged marriage romance between a cruel billionaire heir and a feisty heiress unafraid to fight back. It is set in the decadent Dark Prince Road world. Mm. So I guess she has um, other books in this universe. I'm pretty sure it's a dark romance, which is the same category as Haunting Adeline. And then, you know, they're trying to get me because it's like in parentheses, extremely limited prints. And I'm like, Mm. they do that on purpose. They do that on purpose (laughs) so that people buy it. (laughs) Like me, I'm the sucker. (laughs) All right. This is the prettiest one so far. You ready? Okay. The Liars Club with the pink Mm. edges. Yeah, that's pretty. It is. And it's like really contrasting, but the hot pink is getting me. Yeah, that one was like made for you. I know. And then this is the last one I'm going to show you because it's so pretty too. But this one's called Sanctuary of the Shadow. And edges oh, on this one I've are see- so pretty. I've seen that one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Am I the type of person that would just judge a book by its cover and purchase? Yes, because I've done that with Caraval. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Anyway. First real problems over here. Did you order them? No. <laughs> okay. But I, they're in my, you know, my list. Like I, I, I press the little heart. Yeah. And they go, they, they're saved basically. Yeah. Because these were all ones I saved, and I was like, I gotta show Alex. I gotta show Alex. <laughs> show Alex. Plus, I'm like, uh, I wanted just a bookshelf that just displays these. I don't know. Mm. This all started with God Killer, by the way. Yeah. Okay. That's a really pretty one. I, I got God Killer, the special edition copy i knew nothing about the book i sent uh, some kind of video that you sent me or something Mm -hmm. on tiktok and i was looking at it and i paused it and i had to take a picture a screenshot and send it to alex and i was like what is this yeah you were like she's like what's that like in the background she's like this is the most beautiful book i've ever seen i was like i (laughs) need it (laughs) because it's gorgeous it has like a a giant deer with a big ass moon in the background and um on the sprayed edges it's like there's a bunny and trees it's 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 the prettiest book I own now. Yeah, that Have seems read like a, no. a good book, too. I'd be interested in reading that one. So, yeah, it does sound really good. But I yeah. will get to that hopefully next year. But yeah, that's a debut as well. Is it? Yeah, apparently. I don't know why it's called God Killer, but anything like dark fantasy lately is my jam jam. <laughs> um, I'm loving like the gothic dark fantasy stuff. It so. says... Kissin's family were killed by zealots of a fire god. Now she makes a living killing gods and enjoys it. That is until she finds a god that she cannot kill. So mm. that's why it's called God Killer, I guess. All right. That sounds really good. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And there's going to be a sequel called Sunbringer. Oh. That is supposed to come out February 2024. Ah, look at that. Yeah. It wasn't very thick, too. So I don't think it's like very long, which is good. I think it so said it it's like 400 read. pages. Oh. oh, this says 304 pages. Yeah, that's not bad. I don't that's know. Quick. Sometimes when I look it up on Goodreads, though, it's not accurate. So give or take 100. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But honestly, 400 isn't that bad for a fantasy. So maybe yeah, you- during December, we might be able to read it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, can you guys tell that uh, we like fantasy books? Can you guys tell that we like books? <laughs> you do know you're listening to books with cooks, right? <laughs> I don't know. I want to read all the books. So. Yeah. Um, but speaking of deer... Uh, me and Alex were actually talking about this earlier, how for some reason, nobody believed me. It took my took me seriously 20 years ago, including your dad. <laughs> Uncle Ernie, you want your mention? Here it is. Um, your dad and Uncle Joe, like we were at some family function and I was like, oh, my God, you know, like on Friday night or whenever it was. I was like, on Friday night, I almost hit a deer, you know, in my in my hometown. Um, and they were like, no, no, no. Nah. <laughs> 
it's not like, possible. They're like, that's not possible. You know, when they swim across the sea. <laughs> yes, and they did. Okay. <laughs> 20 years later, they're everywhere. Okay. <laughs> and nobody believed me. I'm like, what am I just going to make that up? Like I told Alex, like, what do I have to gain from just being like, yes, I almost hit a deer, man. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> I, was, I looked down for two seconds. This is a good lesson for everyone, like never to take your eyes off the road. But I took my eyes off the road for two seconds to look down and change something on my radio, maybe, or maybe at the, t- at the time it was like a CD. I have mm-hmm. no idea. I look up and boom, there's just a deer in, in my lights. And I had to like stop really short and then it ran off. Um, thank God I didn't hit it. A, I would have heard it and I would have totaled my car. Uh, but then they would have believed me. <sighs> Real nice. I know. <laughs> All right. So you said that you were going to tell me what you and Doug are being for Halloween and what Jax is going to be for Halloween. And I've been dying in suspense. So I need to know. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So after a lot of serious deliberation over here, because we've been changing our minds constantly this entire month and all of September has been up in the air. We have a, a Halloween party coming up this weekend. So we had to do something. We were going to plan maybe to do something like last year. I was Belle. He was Gaston and the baby was Beast. Yeah. (laughs) And then we were able to recycle that for the party. But we didn't do that this year. It's a little different. So me and him, hilarious. He's going to be, I'm going to be Napoleon Dynamite and he's going to be Rex Quando. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For the party this weekend. Yeah, I got the hair and everything. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I've been trying to study the dance. Hmm. Oh my God. Some dance you, moves. you know, like, I yeah. know this boogie is for real. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's going to be fun. He's hilarious because he's like, Rex Quando, you know. <laughs> but for the baby, he's going to be. Are you ready? Yeah. I'm going to be Red Riding Hood and he's going to be the wolf. Oh, it's so cute. Isn't it? It's going to be adorable. I know. I tried to make Doug be the grandma, but yeah. he wasn't having it. I was just going to say that Doug should be grandma. <laughs> he wasn't having it. Okay. But the grandma outfit is hysterical and I have to show it to you. It's so funny. It's amazing. Just picture him in it. Okay. He was like not having it. Oh my God. <laughs> That's anyway, ridiculous. Yeah, it's just like a, you know, a nightgown, like a really old fashioned nightgown with um the wolf's tail coming out and his ears and paws. I, it would have just been so funny. It's funny. Why doesn't he want to do it? Because it's kind of like a dress. I don't know. He's ridiculous. He's like, I don't need that. I was like, I'm going to be Red Riding Hood. He's going to be a wolf. What are you going to be? The picnic basket? You know? And he's like, he's like, no, I'm going to be Rex Quando. You know, I was like, that has nothing to do with the situation. Nothing. So whatever. <laughs> He wasn't having it. Yeah. But whatever. The baby will lame Doug. I know. He's only gonna be young for like, you know, a small amount of time. Have a little fun, man. Yeah. (sighs) But uh what was it? We were talking about so many things before, and I'm trying to think of what else we wanted to say. Oh, well, Iron Flame is coming out next month, mm-hmm. and we're 100% reading that and doing multiple weeks of that on the podcast, so be prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Be prepared. Oh. So you guys may have noticed that we keep saying, I'm in the dark here, and we were thinking maybe not everyone knows what that's a reference to, because it's from a random 90s movie. I mean, it was a really good movie, and it actually won an Oscar. So it's not unheard of, but it's called Scent of a Woman. Al Pacino. Al Pacino plays the main character and Chris O'Donnell is also in it playing alongside him. And uh, he's blind Al Pacino in the movie. And at one point he says, I'm in the dark here. And for some reason, (laughs) we'll put it at the end of the episode for you. Yeah. And that quote just always stuck with us. And especially with this episode of Flicker in the Dark, we have been saying it a lot uh, (laughs) to ourselves. So 
we thought it was a good opportunity to explain to you guys why we keep saying that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure we say it every episode. Yeah, we've been saying it a lot. <laughs> All right. All right. So let's get into our word of the day. Mm-hmm. We had a good conversation. <laughs> okay. It's time for the word of the day. Remember that we encourage our listeners to use these words in your daily conversations and with us on our socials. Each word of the day will come from the Word of Day Vocabulary Workbook by Francine Puckley or Franny the Pucks. Follow the link in bio to get a copy for yourself. Without further ado, today's Word of the Day is... Gullible! Spelled G-U-L-L-I-B-L-E. Pronounced gull i bull It is an adjective that is defined as easily cheated, tricked, or deceived. For example... I am afraid Terry is a little too gullible to survive for as long as an aspiring actor in a city like New York. Ow, that's so mean to poor Terry. But, all right, Jess, let's come up with some examples to help us remember. Can you think of an example or two? That's because he's Terry Cloth. He's very soft. All right. What? (laughs) It's lyrics. Don't come for me. All right. Uh. Yeah, you know, sometimes uh, people are a little too gullible and they believe every single thing that, that is told to them. And in this book particularly, I would say Chloe was very gullible when she was a child, as most children are. Hmm. Okay. When I pretend to throw a toy for my dog and he goes running for it, he appears very gullible. Hmm. Sorry, Renly, you a dum-dum. Growing up, I really liked the book Gulliver's Travels and... If I would have write a book about liars on those islands instead of big and really tiny people, it would be called Gullible's Travels. <laughs> big and really tiny people. <laughs> yeah, don't you remember? There was like giants yeah. on one island and then he was a giant on another island because there was little tiny people. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Also, and they, they tie him up. Also, the Jack Black um, revamp of that is amazing. The movie. Yeah. Did you see it? I didn't see it, no. Oh, it's good. Yeah. Yeah, I love Jack Black. So, so I'm still right. rewatching Gilmore Girls, and I would say in the first season, Rory is very gullible when it comes to Dean's antics as a toxic man or boy mm. man because he's 16. Mm. Yeah, I do not like Dean. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, let's go for some trivia on the word gullible. Uh, when you're gullible, the joke is on you. One of the funniest spins on the word. Is from the 1953 Warner Brothers cartoon, Bully for Bugs, in which Bugs Bunny pops up in the middle of a bullfight in Mexico. He repeatedly tricks Toro the bull and at one point exclaims, What a gully bull! What a new cow poop! <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so random. <laughs> that is really random. All right, so let's go into our ingredient of the week. As you know, we are all about booking and cooking. So let's get into our ingredient of the week. This week's ingredient is... Wine! Inspired by the drink of choice by Chloe. We will make something using that ingredient to discuss in our potty episode, which will air on Thursday. Send us your recipe suggestions to our email or on our socials and we may feature them in the future. Hey listeners, stick around after this episode for some bonus content. Let's tell you why we chose this book. A Flicker in the Dark is a New York Times best-selling edge-of-your-seat thriller, which was published in 2022. It was on both of our TBR lists 
due to its popularity and acclaim. And it's a thriller. And tis the season to be reading some thrillers. Plus, my dad read it, so we figured it was worth checking out. Shout out to the Devo. All right. So before we get into our discussion, here's a plot synopsis so everyone knows what this book is about. A Flicker in the Dark revolves around the life and family of Chloe Davis, a psychologist from a small town in Louisiana. When Chloe was 12, her father was arrested and sentenced to life in prison for confessing to the murder of six teenage girls. Her father's conviction caused stress and turmoil for herself, her brother Cooper, and their mother, who subsequently attempted suicide. 20 years later, Chloe's life begins to unravel when local teens start to go missing in the new town she has since relocated to, and Chloe starts to suspect someone around her may be involved. Stacy Willingham, or Stacy the Wills, or Stacy Stacy Will Will, worked as a copywriter and brand strategist for various marketing agencies before committing to writing fiction full-time. She earned a bachelor's degree in magazine journalism from the University of Georgia and a master's in writing from Savannah College of Art and Design. Flicker in the Dark was her debut novel and has since been adapted for film by Oscar-winning actress Emma Stone. She currently resides in Charleston, South Carolina, with her husband and their Labradoodle. Her work has been translated in more than 30 languages. All right, so let's get started by sharing our thoughts on the characters. So who is your favorite and least favorite? Didn't you feel that they were well-developed? Yeah, I did think that the characters were pretty well-developed in this book. My favorite character was Chloe. And I, I enjoyed her as a protagonist. You know, she had her flaws, but I, I didn't mind it. I, I enjoyed reading about her journey and, and her story. So I, I liked Chloe the best. My least favorite, I think, was the journalist, Aaron slash Tyler. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how I felt about his character. I didn't really like him from the start. And then I felt like things got really weird where they had some type of relationship. And I thought that was really rushed and weird. And then it turned out he wasn't even who he said he was and he was a killer and all the stuff. So I, I did not like that. I didn't like his character. What did, what did you think? All right. So I agree. Chloe was the only character that I liked in this book. So don't like anybody else. I actually hated some of them. Uh, <laughs> not because they weren't well-developed. I do believe that they were. Yeah. Uh, but the, actually, I agree with you, though, because Aaron slash Tyler was not well developed, in my opinion, to the point where I feel like he shouldn't have existed in this book. But mm. maybe we'll talk about that more later. OK, I yeah. felt like he didn't have a purpose. But my least least favorite would probably be Cooper because he just sucks. I don't know. I, I mm. They're all my least favorite. <laughs> yeah. Except Chloe. <laughs> I, I actually, like her. I actually liked Daniel by the end. I was very suspicious of him for a while, mm -hmm. but by the end, I liked him. So. I have issues with Daniel. Okay. I know. I know you've said that before, but we haven't really talked about it yet. So yeah. <laughs> All right. So the book opens with a prologue. The first line being, I thought I knew what monsters were. Why do you think Stacey Willingham chose to begin the story this way? And what were your expectations of the book after reading the prologue? So I really love this opening line and you know how I am with, I have to read my opening lines. So I was really into it with this mm. one. Uh, but when you think of monsters, you know, you think of ghost stories and fairy tales, uh, you think of make-believe, you know, but monsters are very real, just not in the way that you've been conditioned to believe growing up. You know, they're not like green ogres, you know. There's people out there who are very bad, very evil, 
but they're very real, sadly. And um, they might not be exactly the monster that you would imagine it to be, you know, especially not someone that you would expect to trust. And most of the times it the monster becomes um, somebody who you did trust. So in Chloe's case, of course, she didn't know what monsters were until they were right in front of her face. Um, and she still has to unfortunately learn that going forward 20 years later. So there's a lot that that whole statement right there. There's a lot that you can build off of on that line alone. And I think that Stacey Willingham did a really great job with that um, and showing us um, some forms of monsters in this book. Because yeah. there's there's even monsters that are within yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's explored in this book, too. I like that. My expectations of of the book after reading the prologue was I need more. I want more. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I thought it was a really good prologue. It was very uh, intriguing, interesting and inviting. And I was ready for more. And I wanted to see what the monsters were that were surrounding Chloe, especially when I believe at the end of it, uh, she's being chased and she runs into her father's arms and her father's comforting Mm her. Yeah. And now that you know the story, it's super ironic. And yeah. sad at the same time. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that opening line is a great one. I think it it's really attention grabbing and it makes you want to read on. And I think that's why she chose to open it that way. And my ex- expectations based on that line in the prologue overall was, okay, I want to know who the monster is. If you thought that this was the monster, what what is it actually going to be? And I, I was hooked with this book from the very start. I was very into it. I really was hoping that there would be some type of examination of what is a monster and how do we define that in everyday life. And that's exactly what this book did. And I thought that Stacey Wills did it in a really clever way and in a really effective way. And th- this actually reminded me of a quote, I think it was from American Horror Story. Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but somebody had said, all monsters are human. And I think that that quote has always stuck with me because it's true. There's no such thing as the the boogeyman. There's no monster under your bed. There's nothing lurking in the shadows. The scariest things that happen to us are done to us by other people. And I think that's kind of like the concept that Stacey Willingham was going for here is monsters are real, but they're not, you know, scary beasts hanging out in the trees. They're your next door neighbors. They're your family members. They're your friends. And I, I liked I liked how she played with that idea in this book. Yeah, well said. I agree with you there. And you know, even the monsters I was talking about, the fairy tales and stuff, those are all created by humans. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. <laughs> yeah, it's true. So Chloe struggles to define the word home. Uh, in the story, she says home, quote, is a loaded phrase. It isn't just a house, a collection of bricks and boards held together by concrete and nails. It's more emotional than that. A home is safe and secure. So let's discuss why Chloe has difficulty defining that word home and how and why its definition fluctuates for her throughout the book. Yeah, I really liked this as well. So Chloe, as we find out when she was, I believe, 12 years old, her father is arrested for the murder of six teenage girls. So now her home, which she wants a place where she once felt safe and secure, as she defines what a home should be, is taken away from her because now it's no longer a safe place. It's no longer a place that she feels secure and it's no longer a place that she can consider a place that she can turn to. So I, I really liked that she experienced, well, I mean, I didn't like that she experienced that in childhood, but I liked that we played with that idea in the book as a child. And then as an adult, she now does have a safe and secure home. At the start of this novel, she has a fiance, Daniel, that she's living with. She does feel safe here. And then as the story progresses, she feels increasingly less safe in her home. And once again, is going through these the same emotions that she experienced as a kid. 
And I think a lot of that is influenced by her, her experiences as a child, because that's what she knows now. And she knows that she has to question, is this actually safe? Is this actually secure? Because what I once thought was safe and secure actually was not. So I can understand how that would make somebody feel really confused throughout their life. And it would make it difficult for them to define home because they don't really know what that means anymore. So I think that's that's what we were seeing a lot in this book. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said, you know, and she's right. You know, a house isn't just like walls and a roof. It's what's inside that counts. You know, they say like um, home is where your heart is. I agree with that. And for me, you know, home is where my family is. So, you know, both of that heart, her heart got broken. Her home life, her family, everything was obliterated, you know, just in moments. And she didn't have time to you know, cope with it and and deal with that quickly. She had to deal with it all very fast as a 12-year-old girl. And that, I can't imagine what that's like. I don't want to imagine what that's like. But everything got ripped away from her. So when she says it's more emotional than that, um, it really is for her especially. But it is overall. So yeah. I, I, I like that she struggles to define it because it shows how the past has really destroyed her, her present, you yeah. know, and like, it just shows that like basically in a way her home was completely a wrecking ball was just destroyed the whole thing for her. Her house was destroyed. Her home life was destroyed. Her family was literally ripped apart. I mean, her mother was never the same. Her mother tried to kill herself. Her mother couldn't, uh, she, she failed to try and uh, commit suicide and she actually couldn't talk um, or really function well anymore. So it's like she lost her mother out of this as well. Um, and then later on, you find out all she had was her brother and did she? So, you know, yeah. it, it's sad. Yeah. It's sad. Uh, but I, I really like that she struggles to define this word. And I think that that's realistic for her situation. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. So throughout the book, we can see the use of lightning bugs in the story. What do you think they symbolize? Okay, so I did a lot of research on this because I was curious about this myself. Uh, first of all, as a kid, I love that lightning bugs are used in this story for a lot of reasons. But one, as a kid, I freaking loved lightning bugs. And I'm not like one of those that loves bugs. I hate bugs. <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean? Like, think about it like a grandma and grandpa's when we were sitting in like yeah. in their um, little, you know, sunroom in the back in a screened porch. And you're looking into the darkness of the of the yard and all you keep seeing are these little lights. Yeah. Um. So that, you know, as a kid, that's exciting as hell. And you're like, <laughs> how the hell do they do this? You know? <laughs> Yeah, it really is. It's a mystery. Like they're like electrically charged. They're cool. Yeah. But I looked it up and it says that they basically um a few things, which is really interesting. They they symbolize that small, simple things um in life matter most. And I found that interesting because, you know, if you think about it in, in relation to Chloe, that would entail, you know, family, friends, trust as a child, um, things that should matter most. Um, especially for a 12 year old. And then I also found there's a superstition which says fireflies, if they get into your home, if one gets into your home, it means that death is coming soon for someone. Oh, okay. So that also ties into the book. And I thought that that was really interesting. You know, lights out. Dark. I'm in the dark here. Yeah. Uh, and then one other thing, uh, another thing I found interesting too was uh, a fun fact that natives used to collect fireflies in netted bags and actually tie them around their ankles and use them as flashlights before flashlights became a thing to see in the dark. So there was a lot of cool, cool stuff. Yeah, a lot of cool stuff that I found when I was doing my little research on fireflies for the story. <laughs> 
apparently I was doing a lot of research and uh, it's just interesting because you know it, this book is called a flicker in the dark and that's essentially what they are they'll be little temporary flickers in the dark as they fly around and they illuminate the dark um, and that's 100% what you see in this story so you know it, you see lightning bugs throughout the book but you also see one through her friends uh, one of the girls that actually dies she has a lightning bug that is her not literally lightning bug but it's her um, her belly ring um, and that comes to play in the story it's very uh, very important so I just I think it's really cool I love when they have little things that symbolize things um, within the book and I, I really liked that in um, Stacey the Will's writing so yeah um, well I didn't do any research on it but for me lightning bugs for me represent hope so you do typically see them when it's dark outside and like you mentioned with the title there's that flicker in the dark that flicker of light and to me that represents hope or like yeah. the light at the end of the tunnel right. so I think that what I was interpreting in the book was that the lightning bugs represented hope and specifically where we had Lena she was um, very spunky and outgoing they were her favorite bug I think she was a very optimistic and um, hopeful person but but then there were also moments where she was collecting them in jars and her and Chloe were doing that when they were younger. And it made me think of like contained hope. So like taking that hope, but then uh, repressing it. And I think that that represented Lena's character a lot. And I think it did represent a lot of Chloe as well in terms of how her history with her family impacted her future and how she approached situations as an adult and having that hope buried deep down and repressed because of the experiences that she had. So that's that's how I interpreted the lightning bugs in the yeah. story. Yeah. yeah. And I, I do think it kind of ties into the title as well, like you said. Definitely. But it definitely it ties into Lena a lot. The fact that she had that on her body and then her body was literally taken from her, lights out. Yeah. Um, you know, her flicker in the dark was ceased. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, very interesting. I really liked, I, I liked the correlation. With yeah. That. Yeah. So the juxtaposition between darkness and light is everywhere in this book, not just lightning bugs, um, which alludes to the title. So how how do these images and feelings play off of one another? I think that Stacey Willingham uses the imagery of light in this book, once again, to go back to the lightning bugs, but to represent hope and optimism and in general, good things. And then I think she uses the darkness to represent those monsters that lurk in the cracks of our worlds, in the cracks of our lives, and the the unseemly things that that we experience in life. And I think that that's what she was going for with this theme of dark and light. It was consistent throughout the book. Again, it is in the title. And I think it's about finding the light in the darkness. And I think that that's what Chloe really had to do in this book. She had to, for a long time, since since the arrest of her father, she's kind of been living in this dark gray world and this book was kind of her journey to finding the light again. Unfortunately, yeah. she had to get, it, it got even darker before she was able to get to the light. But sometimes, you know, you need, it, things need to get worse before they can get better. But there's always that light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, I agree with you 100% what you said. You know, typically light represents good and, and dark represents evil. And what comes from darkness, you know, hopefully will be light. Um, you know, everything that's dark. Uh, in this world, these monsters that are very real that people either just choose not to see or they put their head in the sand and don't want to see. Um, and I'm guilty of that myself sometimes. You know, there's certain things I don't want to know about. So sometimes, you know, you have to shine a light on those things. So this way they can be discovered. Basically, you could shine a light <laughs> on the dark area and the light will be infectious and, you know, set everyone free like a lightning bug. Yeah. 
I think it's also you can't have the light without the darkness and you can't have the darkness without the light either because with light comes shadow. So I I like that they're entwined in that way as well, that they're two opposites and yet they can't exist without the other. Yeah. And it really plays off of her as well because there's a lot of darkness in her life, a lot of darkness that has happened around her, which has in in the past, which has caused in her present so much darkness inside of her. Um, and by the end, I think that she does. I love the the ending line of this book as well. And I think that, you know, that by the end, her darkness is she the light switched on and she's got a little hope coming to her. So, yeah, I think I, I agree with you by the end of the book. it It's hope you're you're hopeful that the darkness is behind her now and it's it's light light ahead. Yes. To the future. So how are the past and present treated in this book and how does this affect the reader's understanding of events as the book progresses and how does this affect your understanding of Chloe? Yeah, so we've been saying a little bit of this, uh, but there's a heavy, heavy theme of past and how it affects your present in this book, especially for Chloe. Um, Not just Chloe, because it's also, you know, that she she, uh, finds one of the victim's fathers, is also in her hometown she's having an alarm system put in her house and that was actually a funky story because she was looking him up she was suspect uh, suspicious of him thinking that maybe he was the copycat killer uh and she finds him and then her fiance daniel sees him on the computer and goes oh you want an alarm system and calls him and makes him come to her house that was wild he also obviously is affected his daughter was lights out literally taken from her when she was what 16 really young yeah um and obviously that has impacted him as well in the present so you see that throughout the book you see that with every character we come across and that's realistic because everybody's past um molds and shapes them into who they are today so you know as as the book progresses um you understand chloe a little bit more because she's been through serious serious shit you know she was 12 years old thinking that her family was this wonderful um sanctuary for her And then by the end of 12 years old, you know, before she turns 13, she realizes that that was not the case. You know, it messes her up. You know, now she's become a drug addict. She is um, a doctor because she was hoping to be um, helpful to others. But meanwhile, she's unethical because she's writing out prescriptions to herself, you know, through others. So there's a lot of dark areas there uh, with her and yeah, I mean, she's she went through trauma. She, there was a lot of dis- disillusionment in her life. She has PTSD from it. I mean, who wouldn't if you found out that your father confessed to killing six girls who were around your age? That's got to mess you up. Mm-hmm. And she's literally haunted by the ghosts of these killings. You know, the ghosts um, and the ghosts that it made her family. Her family is essentially a ghost to her now, if that makes sense. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it led to her distrust in men, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of things. Yeah, I liked seeing both the past and the present, and I felt that this was handled really well in the novel. I think it allowed for a really good reading experience because it it lets you see little pieces of the puzzle that you can start to put together until you get to the end and finally, you know, you get the finished result. And you know that I love, I love that in a book. I love trying to pick out the pieces and solve the puzzle. And yeah, we really got a lot of that in this book. So I enjoyed it as a reader. It did help me understand chloe so much better because if you didn't get information about her history you really wouldn't understand what she's going through in the present and 
you know, as Jess mentioned, she's struggling with PTSD. She has a lot of anxiety. She's abusing prescription medications. Plus she's drinking when she takes the prescription medications, which you're not supposed to do. So she's really struggling with her emotions. It sounds like she has a lot of difficulty coping. And despite being a therapist and helping others, and it seems like she's pretty effective in that role, she still has a lot of work that she has to do internally. And it was really interesting to see that. And I believe that Stacey Willingham handled that really well in this novel. I'm trying to think if there was anything else. I, I definitely, how what you mentioned, um, it does affect her relationships. And she's also kind of paranoid. And I liked seeing that as well in the book. And it, it made sense. Again, I think it ties back to her PTSD. It seemed like she was having flashbacks at several times throughout the books. She was having bad nightmares. These are all symptoms of PTSD. And it helped us to understand that better and why that was occurring as an adult, given what we know about her past as a child. And I, I agree with you in terms of how the breaking down of her family unit can also affect her, her relationships as well. So at the beginning of the book, we find out that she's engaged to Daniel. They only knew each other for, I think, about a year. And then they got engaged really quickly. They were about to be married. Somebody that has a broken family unit might be looking to jump into a, a new family and start their own. I think that made a lot of sense because initially I was like, damn, that's really fast. But it made sense because she came from this broken family and she wanted she wanted a family. She wanted a family unit that she could rely on. She wanted a home. And that's something that she she didn't feel she had until she met him. So I, I, I thought that this was handled really well. I think it was a really effective uh, storytelling from from Stacey Wills. Uh, how do you feel about Chloe as a narrator? Did you find her nar narration reliable or unreliable? And why do you think Willingham or Stacey the Wills chose to portray Chloe in this way? Yeah, I think I think Chloe was super unreliable. I yeah. definitely think that was intentional. I loved that. I love reading an unreliable narrator because once again, you do kind of have to pick out these pieces and figure out, is this real? Is this not real? Is this a perception issue? Is this her paranoia? What What's happening here? And how does it relate to the actual truth of what happened? And how does it relate to the story? So I really liked Chloe as a narrator. I liked her as a protagonist. I liked her as a character and a person. I, I feel for Chloe. I think she's a really fragile person. Um, but by the end, we saw her gain some strength. And, and I liked seeing her journey. I liked reading about her journey. I was rooting for her. And I liked that she was unreliable. I think Willingham, again, did this intentionally because we needed to we needed to question things we needed to feel suspicious it, it it pumped up the suspense and that that sense of what's going on here and who did this and was it this person or that person and honestly just like chloe be, because of chloe because she was unreliable i was suspicious of everybody in this book including chloe herself at one point because she was unreliable and i i enjoyed i enjoyed that okay so i agree with everything you said uh you know Chloe's point of view is the only point of view that we get throughout the whole book. We're not giving anybody else's perspective. Um, so she is very unreliable. I mean, she is a drug addict. You can't really trust her in the sense that, um, you know, she's not 100% there all the time. And it's not even just the drugs. Obviously, that's her coping mechanism um, for much graver things. She is, you know, dealing with the aftermath of her dad uh, being a confessed killer of three, uh, I'm sorry, of at least six young girls uh, destroying her family. I mean, she's in the wake of so much trauma. So uh, will we will we see somebody reliable from that when she doesn't trust everybody? Of course not. And like Alex said, we love that because the suspense was so great there. Um, we were constantly on edge. 
constantly wondering, well, is she crazy or are these people really crazy? You know, I was questioning myself a lot there uh, as far as that went, because you can't trust her. Just like she can't trust anyone because she doesn't trust anyone is why you can't trust her necessarily when she's, you know, giving you the, the details. So I thought that that was a really great way that Stacey Wills went about that. So, yeah, I really like that she chose to portray Chloe in that way. It was really great from a reading perspective. Uh, and I I like that um, because it made the story more interesting. There are issues that I have with things down the road, but for the most part of the book, it was a very high rating for me. So... Chloe is a trained psychologist. However, due to the trauma that she has experienced, she does have difficulty taking her own advice. In fact, she often ends up putting herself in dangerous situations, trying to investigate what happened to these missing girls. Do you think she ever went too far? Yes. <laughs> this is somebody who has had such a traumatized childhood and upbringing and such a crazy chaotic life. And she's also, you know, abusing her power as a therapist able to prescribe drugs she's prescribing drugs to her fiance daniel and then filling them herself and using them herself without his knowledge so she's breaking some ethics barriers and rules there um i don't think that you know necessarily this is the therapist if i was seeking a therapist i'd want as my therapist but you wouldn't know that that's what's going on behind the scenes for her uh as far as you know her not taking her own advice I mean, one rarely does, <laughs> you know, like I could be really great at giving advice, but if I'm in the same situation or something, I might not take my own advice either. So I, I think that makes her relatable. I mean, I think that makes her real in that situation. As far as putting herself in dangerous situations, I think if she was in her own chair and there's a lot of times where she does talk to herself as a doctor and try to like analyze her situation and try to give her advice and she never takes it. So I think that, you know, when she goes in dangerous situations, yes, I think she went too far. There's a lot of times I was like, why are aren't you telling this person or why aren't you asking this person for help? There's a lot of times she was just not communicating with like her brother. She wasn't communicating with Daniel properly. And that aggravated me. And I was like, why aren't you doing this? So this way, you know, you have people on your side to help you with this. Instead, she was going to this reporter who she doesn't even know. So that's one of the issues I was having there. I think she went too far also when she was pushing one of the girl's fathers, the one that was uh, we said installs alarms. She was trying to get information from him and pushing his buttons. I think that made it very dangerous for her as well. So, you know, she was putting herself in these dangerous situations. But I wonder, you know, if I were in her shoes, what would I have done? So I don't know. Yeah, I think it went a little far with the investigation only in for me in the sense that all thrillers do this because... They they always have these characters that have no business doing actual investigations, investigating shit and putting themselves in dangerous situations. Yeah, and it, it always it always seems a little unrealistic for me in this novel. It made sense for Chloe's character. She couldn't go to Daniel because she didn't trust Daniel because she thought he was a killer and she didn't go to Cooper. She describes that they have kind of a strange relationship. They had gone a couple of years without even talking. I don't think she believes that he would have believed her or trusted her. And I don't think she had the trust in him to go to him as well. She did try to go to the police and she was rebuked. You know, she was mm -hmm. told you're a little crazy. We know about your past. There was a situation when she was in college where she thought, 
this guy that she was seeing had murdered her roommate and it turned out they were just having an affair behind her back <laughs> and he like didn't really cut things off with her and she, but she was super paranoid and that was because of her history with her dad and I think all of it made sense for her character it made sense that she would be really paranoid really distrustful and she wouldn't know who to go to and she did trust the reporter but it's because she thought he was on her side she thought he was there also trying to find the killer of these girls and she really felt like nobody else was really trying she even felt a little distrustful in the police because they didn't take her seriously when she was saying oh you need to look for this piece of jewelry this is what they do and you know they once again they were just like well you're kind of crazy so we're not gonna believe that i do think the situation with the lena's father was dangerous <laughs> and i think it was kind of naive she kind of thought that she could get away with this and that he wouldn't recognize her wouldn't know who she is and it turned out it just backfired on her and i did i did feel worried for chloe when that scene was happening because i was like why would you do this now this man is in your home he just installed your security system he could have messed with it and i think she even questions that herself but I, I think it all made sense in the book for her character, but it, it 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 is a little unrealistic as it always is in a thriller novel because you wouldn't have the story without them doing this stuff. So I, I try to suspend my my disbelief a little bit in that respect. So I think, you know, in the universe for this novel, it, it made sense for Chloe. I mean, I agree. Like, you know, her going to her home that she had when she was a kid, which is like she explains that it's 10 acres or something of woods and it's this desolate area and she's expecting the killer to be there but she doesn't know who the killer is or whatever and she's trying to piece things together and she goes there alone eh, really you know i mean that's like you said it makes sense for for the thriller part of this book you know that mm -hmm. that would be the case but it's not realistic in my opinion i don't think she would have did something like that well i think it made sense in the book because again who was she going to bring with her she couldn't go to the cops they didn't believe her they didn't trust her she didn't really have anybody else in her life that she could trust so she had no choice but to go alone so you know i i think from that perspective in the book it was realistic if it was real life obviously no <laughs> but it's not real life so eh, i don't know so the setting of Louisiana Summers plays an important role in this book. Uh, how does it tie various characters together and how does it pull them apart? Well, I know the Louisiana Summers play a role in that this is when we first start seeing the girls going missing. There's a lot of it's very hot and just in general emotions can be up. I think that the heat of summer can kind of be representative of people with high emotions and how does it pull them apart well that's when the girls go missing and that's when everything starts to go to shit so um that's that's what i think in terms of it, it brings some people together in the sense that we see this is when chloe first starts her relationship with lena as kids and she becomes her best friend is during the summer they're at a carnival and then later on when lena goes missing and her family is torn apart it's it's representative of that but i i do think that the summer is kind of representative of that high intensity emotion and how it can bring friends together and can make you form a really close bond with one another but then it can also cause you to do some really horrible things like murder girls and then tear your family apart so to me that's that's how i think the summers kind of play a role in this book yeah i agree uh i feel like there's a lot of heat so in other words, there's a lot of heat on um, the actual killer um, in this situation because now he's being scrutinized for every girl that goes missing. Now he has to worry and, you know, he's got to worry about being caught. Um, there's a lot of heat on her family. There's a lot of um, people who are, you know, gunning for the family after the father confesses and gets locked away. 
Um, and this is the summer that basically heats up her life. So this summer makes her life hell. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the symbolization I got from from the heat um, as far as the summer goes. And the summer is very important because this is the summer that turns her life around where she starts really fearing for her life because people are going missing around her age, people she knows like Lena, and it destroys her life. It pulls her entire family apart. And it ties various characters together in the way that it melts her father's life <laughs> to pave a way for something going on that I'll talk about later that I'm not crazy about. We had this sim- symbolization also in the in uh, the silent patient about yeah. the weather. The weather plays roles. Um, and in this case, her memories are from that summer where her, she had fond memories in the beginning of the summer and then terrible memories at the end of it. Yeah. And in this case, too, um, you know, she's supposed to be getting married in the summer. In the present time, the girls 20 years later that are going missing are again in the summer. So it's kind of it's summer plays a very big role, not just in Louisiana, but also where she. Well, yeah, because she she wasn't. Is she in Baton Rouge now? I forget. Mm -hmm. Was she in Baton Rouge originally? No, she was in uh, Bow Bridge or something something along. I think it was Bow Bridge in as a child. And then she relocated to Baton Rouge as an adult. Yeah. So either way, it's it's. Um, a summer that was a turning point in her life. Now, 20 years later, another summer is becoming another turning point. So at one point in the story, Chloe begins to suspect her fiance, Daniel, may be the copycat killer. What does this suggest about her ability to trust those close to her? And how did you feel about the reveal of Daniel's mysterious absences? And do you feel his lies were justified or that he should have been upfront with Chloe from the start? Okay, so... His absences and everything were driving me insane. I'm like, this dude is cheating on her. He's a piece of garbage, you know? And I was like, I didn't like him. I didn't like him. Um, There was a lot of things that he was doing that I just found shady. At one point, she thinks she finds jewelry that belonged to the girls in his closet, uh, which obviously mirrors something from her past because she found jewelry in her father's closet and all the jewelry belonged to the missing girls. And that's what she uses to she used to convict him basically but then he did confess himself it's messed up because you know that this girl has a traumatized traumatized past you know she's still suffering from ptsd you know that you know all that because she's so open with you and honest with you about it and it's what has made her who she is today and you're going around her back doing all these little things that you could just be be upfront with her and she would completely understand but instead you're you're digging into this whole thing where she already has trust issues and i just think it's really messed up i don't think his lies were justified in the end i think he should have been upfront with her i think he should have told her everything from the start so this way she would understand and i think ultimately the miscommunication there and the lack of trust is why they were doomed to fail why their engagement broke off and why they weren't going to make it. You know what I mean? So I just, I don't think, I have issues with Daniel. I just feel like had he really have been a good guy who really cared for her, he would have been like, hey, I'm going to visit your dad. That's where I'm really going. You know, it's not just for work. And the reason why I'm doing that is for this purpose. Or, hey, I'm thinking of going to visit your dad before it even went went down. Would that be okay or whatever? Not, oh, I don't think she would be, you know, glad that I'm doing that. So I just won't tell her. Like, I don't, that, that's just, you know, you can't trust somebody like that. So I feel like he wasn't, he was more toxic for her than anything. Hmm. All right. I, I disagree. Uh, first of all, his, his disappearances weren't to go visit her dad. He had done that prior to that meeting. And I think it was only once he was going mm-hmm. to visit his sister. Well, maybe no, he, he was... maybe he visited him a few times, but the absences in the story when he was away on work, it was so he could visit oh, his yeah. sister, not to visit. He her was dad. visiting the sister. That I get. 
Yeah. Um, I wish he would have been open with her, too. She was open with him. But no, but she was he was visiting her father, too, even after they were together. I don't think it was something he was doing consistently, though, and it's not something he was doing when he was like on his business trips and she didn't know where he was. It, he during those times he was going to visit his sister but i i i liked daniel i think i the whole time i was suspicious that chloe was just paranoid and that all of this was going to be explained however at some point in the middle of the book they were really setting daniel up to seem like he was the copycat killer so then i did start to get suspicious of him and she did find jewelry from one of the killed girls in his closet, but that was a setup. I, I didn't like the idea of Daniel being the copycat killer. So at this point in the story, I was kind of getting annoyed because I was like, this seems stupid to me that yeah. he, he would have been like the original killer or the copycat killer. And then he decides to, you know, find her and marry her. Like to me, it was too, it was too much. But I, so I was glad at the end when it turned out that wasn't the case. I didn't really have a problem with her, with him keeping it from her. Should he have been upfront? probably but they didn't know each other that well and it wasn't necessarily his secret to like to tell it was his sister's and if it was important for her to to stay hidden then he doesn't have the right to to give that information away and you know I'm sure he probably would have told her about it eventually but you want to make sure that you can really trust a person before you bring them into something like that and I don't know if he really did trust Chloe all that much from the start I think he wanted to. I think he did care about her. I think he was trying to be protective of her. And I, I mean, I, I didn't really have a problem with it. And, you know, I, I get that he sometimes he was going away on business. Sometimes he wasn't. But again, I mean, he wasn't doing it for a nefarious reason. He was taking care of his sister that he got out of an abusive situation with their, their with their family when they were kids. The one issue I do have with that that my dad pointed out to me is that we don't really understand how as a 13 year old she was surviving on her own, but that's the only issue that I have with it. There was never clarity about that, but in terms of him actually going to visit his sister and take care of her, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think he was a nice guy. I don't know. Mm. I mean, I agree with you on that. I forgot to mention about the sister. I completely forgot about the sister for a second there. <laughs> that was like um, the big reveal. Yeah, I know. <laughs> no. So here's my issue with that too. Okay wouldn't you want her to meet your sister and also like if she's being so open about the fact that her dad fucking killed all these women supposedly these girls are not even women because they didn't get a chance to grow up he he wants to marry you but like he doesn't want to tell you about his his past like that's not how it works man and then he lied to her and said oh i don't know who you are chloe davis but you know he never he acted like when she told him the story it was for the first time meanwhile he had things in his his bedroom about the situation and um, about missing girls and that's the reason why he concocted this um you know this uh this lie basically to remove his sister from an abusive household and make her look like she went missing and then my big issue with this more than so about the distrust in a relationship is that he proposes to her with the friggin ring that her sister went missing with and then when she's in the house she, um chloe goes to her uh, his family home to see his mother to question about the missing persons case because he thinks she's she's not told the truth by Daniel so she thinks that her sister his sister actually went missing and then the mother sees the ring on her hand and is like where did you get that ring where did you get that ring you know what I mean and yes I guess that's implanted well, there so this way we think maybe he killed her or something like that um but it's a little creepy to me that he gave her the sister's ring and well, I get it at the it, end she's like it was her idea or whatever but. it was a fairly it was a family heirloom it was her idea and she was never supposed to meet his he doesn't have any contact with his family because his family is a piece of shit so 
where Chloe's family was torn apart because of the things that happened in her past, his family was equally torn apart because yeah. his father was abusive and his mother allowed it. So right. he has no contact with them. He had no intention for Chloe to ever meet his mother. She went behind his back to meet her because she thought that Daniel was a killer and she was investigating him. So right. I don't have a problem with the ring. I don't have a problem. I do have a problem with her going behind his back to, to meet his family instead of, you know, maybe confronting him. But again, that comes down to trust. And I, I think that that was right. realistic for the book that she wouldn't confront him about it. And, yeah, and, that, and the, the thing the thing with Chloe and her history is that she she talks about this in one of the flashbacks that you can go online and do one Google search on her name and you'll find out everything you want to know to begin with. And that was an issue that she had when she was dating is that everybody came to the date already knowing who she was. Right. The information about his sister, nobody knows except for him and his sister. So that's a secret that's been maintained for years. And it's something that's kept her safe for years. It's something that's kept her out of the clutches of her parents. And I, once again, it's not his secret to tell, it's Sophie's secret to tell. So until yes. she feels ready to disclose that, I don't think that Chloe really has a right to that information because it's not Daniel's information. It's Sophie's information. My my main issue stems from the fact that she was so distrusting of men thinking that they can Google her, like you said, and know who she is. and she. Yeah, uh, she, she thought she finally she thought she finally found someone who didn't know anything about her and meanwhile he was lying to her about that fact so her whole relationship with him and her whole purpose of thinking that this was the guy for her was built on a lie i just don't think that that was that big of a deal because yes he didn't tell her that he knew who she was but if he had she wouldn't have continued the relationship and it really wasn't that important he allowed her he he knew about her but he didn't seek her out for that reason and that was something that was happening as well in the past they did have like a chance encounter and they did start a relationship organically and he did happen to know who she was and he wasn't going to immediately start grilling her about it or, or treating her like a, a circus spectacle because of it as many other people had done so should he have maybe disclosed it after a while? Yeah, but initially keeping it and, you know, not being immediately like, hey, I know all about your family. Let's talk about it. I can understand that. Let her disclose that to you in her own time, because that's her information to tell instead well, of you just coming out and saying it. I, well, I just didn't I, see that as big a, as big of an issue. I disagree. And that's fine. Yeah. The only reason why I'm still saying it is too, because, you know, not only was the relationship built on a lie, but the fact that he didn't choose to tell her, even though they were going to get married, he he didn't choose to tell her about the sister is because her dad was the inspiration for taking the sister and removing her from the household. So he couldn't really say that without saying that. Well, it so was, he couldn't tell her that it was the so inspiration the was based on a lie. I disagree. I disagree. I mean, all he had to say was there were girls that went missing. You know, he didn't need to know that it was her dad who did it or whatever. I, I think he intended to tell Chloe about Sophie. He just didn't yet. And that's okay. Again, they didn't know each other that long for a secret that's been kept for decades. I can understand him wanting to wait to give her that information. And I think he was waiting until they were married. Because I think they mentioned this deceptive. at some point. <laughs> I disagree. I mean, if you found out that the person you're going to marry has been harboring a sister to keep her safe, would that make you not want to be with him? To me, that would make me feel more safe with him. I don't know. Yeah, but if I, I found it, out it's not that's the because, kind of... but the reason for if I found out is because my dad was killing people and it inspired him to to do that action, and that's why he's been so keeping what? that from me. And then it, he, it was... when he met me that he he knew about me. You see what I'm saying? Like we're I not going to agree on this. So yeah, right. we just have a different perception on this. To me, it's not that big of a deal, and I think it's something you could work through. To me, that's not like a, a make or break type of thing. So I do think there should be more open communication, but I think that that would have come um, in time. And well, you know, I, I I don't think it's the kind of thing that would have 
broken their relationship if he right. had if he had talked to her about it and i think he would have eventually i don't know the question was does he should have should he have been upfront from the start and you think that it, it should take time in his case and i think it should have been upfront from the start so okay so how did you feel about the book twists did you see them coming and what was most surprising to you I was suspicious of Cooper in the beginning, and I thought that he was going to be the real killer. And then I thought that the book was going to head in a different direction with Daniel, and I was really annoyed by that. So when it did turn out that Cooper was the killer, I felt more validated because I was like, okay, this makes more sense. I like this better as a plot twist. I did see it coming, but I think that Stacey Willingham did a good job of throwing several red herrings into the mix to kind of make you feel distracted from that theory and make you start questioning other ones instead. The most surprising thing to me was the journalist twist. I didn't have a problem with it. It was just a surprise. Uh, I didn't see that coming. I thought he was going to be generally a good guy and a good journalist who was really trying to help her. And it turns out, no, he was just helping her brother kill people and mess with her. So um, I didn't really see that coming. And I was surprised about the Daniel harboring his sister. I, I didn't see that coming. I. I had no reason to see that coming so <laughs> that that i found surprising yeah like you i agree I, I did not expect his sister uh to be alive and then he was harboring her that was that was a, definitely a twist that i didn't see coming cooper i called from the beginning okay there was certain things that he did from the very start and when you go into thrillers like this you're so suspect you know suspicious of everyone so um i made my notes <laughs> and he said uh the very first thing was that made me um suspect cooper her brother was when these girls started going missing and and she was nervous about it and he said to her chloe you have nothing to worry about and that made me think like why because you're the killer oh because she has nothing to worry about because she's your sister yeah. i was mad suspicious of him right there yeah and then as soon as the father got arrested and he was very calm yeah okay he didn't fight it and he looked at the kids and he said, be good. And I was like, oh, it's definitely Cooper. Yeah. Right. And he's definitely going to take the fall for him. Yeah. And I was right. And that's yeah. exactly what happened. And I I see a lot of issues there because basically um, the father takes the fall for this kid and thinks that it's going to change him. No. 20 years later, now the two other girls gone missing. That's on you. OK. And the mother knew about it, too. I have such issues with these parents. This is horrendous parenting, you know, and I'd love to say like, oh, you know, I don't know what I would do if it was my son, whatever. But I'm going to tell you straight up. I love my child no matter what, but I would want to get him the help he friggin obviously would need in that case. Um, and I know it's easier maybe said than done. You want to say that you're going to do the right thing for your kid, but that's not doing the right thing for your kid because now your kid isn't necessarily going to be like, oh, well, let me just take this as an opportunity to be better. No. Oh, he's got an issue. He's sick, obviously, you know, and he needs help. And he never got the help he needed. And instead, he just had to lock it away for 20 years until it came back. And he started doing again through channeling through another person. And that's my issue. I wasn't mad that it ended up being Cooper. Like you said, I was I was glad that it was it was that situation. Um, Tyler really annoyed the shit out of me because um, Tyler slash Aaron, this guy didn't really even need to be a character in the book. What he was uh, being bullied basically into helping Cooper I just found that whole twist stupid that was my main issue with the book because I love the book up until that part and I was just like really this is a little kid that was in town and Cooper's so persuasive and he got him to do his dirty work for him like I just thought that was really dumb I didn't love that twist and I I'm sorry for anyone who read it and did 
but it wasn't for me. Um, I just, I, I feel like we could have removed him entirely and she could have went to that house and it could have been Cooper there and she would have had some realization with him there. But in the end, you know, she gets cameras installed uh, when she gets her alarm put in and that's foreshadowing for her capturing him confessing. So, yeah, I mean, I did see some things coming, most things, but I didn't expect Tyler to be involved in that. I just thought he was some douchey guy. <laughs> And when she slept with him, I found more more um, angst from that. I was like, why? Why are you sleeping with this douchebag? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I didn't think he was, was a like, douchebag. for that. I mean, he wasn't really acting like a douchebag. But... He was a, um, he was a little invasive. Like, get out of here. Yeah, you little, I mean, little he was jerk. a he was a journalist. But yeah, I know. I, I didn't mind so much the twist about Cooper, like, persuading somebody to do his dirty work for him. That's very common with sociopaths, which Cooper very clearly is. So I kind of liked that in the book. I just didn't like that it was somebody that was working with Chloe. Like, I felt like it could have just been some unnamed character that was revealed I just didn't like the twist of him not being who he really was yeah. so that that's the thing that annoyed me the most about that you know what but, it is Stacy wrote some so many realistic twists and so many realistic things in this book and I just found that to be so unrealistic it actually work is super realistic though except for the fact that he was pretending to work with like the only unrealistic thing was him pretending to work with Chloe but People really do this. I mean, a lot of sociopaths and psychopaths and serial killers, they do have people do these things. And it's, I'm not going to say it's common, but it does happen. So I, I disagree that it was unrealistic. Um, well, I would have maybe liked it better if he was the copycat killer because of other reasons he had inside, not because Cooper was his influence. Maybe. But that's usually what happens. Like you have these people that write to these serial killers in prison and then they want to like be like them. I mean, these are sick people. They're not healthy, but I mean, it happens. You know, there's sick people that are like, I want to be just like you, you know? I don't know. Anyway. I don't know. I didn't like that he was his minion. <laughs> okay, that's fine. All right, so you you answered this next question. So, but it's how do you feel ha about how the oh. parents went about their revelation that their son was murdering teenage girls? Do you think their actions were handled appropriately? And how did you feel about the mention of his father's upcoming release from prison? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll answer the last part. I didn't answer that. Okay. Um, I mean, it does get mentioned uh, in the last chapter with Chloe. I think it's the last chapter. Um, that her, yeah, because it was supposed to be her wedding day, but it obviously doesn't happen because she's broken up with Daniel at this point. Um, but the father's set to be released clearly because Cooper does confess. Um, and obviously his confession had been a false confession because he was, you know, quote protecting his son. I mean, I, I. I I see his release being understandable, clearly. He confessed to a murder he didn't do, but he was also an accomplice. And and I feel like the two girls that died, um, had Cooper been put away, the correct person been put away, wouldn't have died. So I have my issues there with that, obviously. Um, but obviously, yeah, he should be released after 20 years. You know, he wasn't the one that actually committed them. So he did do time for being an accomplice. So I feel satisfied with that. And maybe too much time in his case. But I don't think they're, like I said, I don't think their actions handled appropriately. But I don't know. What do you think? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think he should definitely be released from prison. He was imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. I agree with you that if he hadn't been imprisoned, then, you know, if the right person had been imprisoned instead, it might have saved lives. But that wasn't, you know, the police that's not their fault. They didn't know. They thought he really was the killer. So he should be released from prison for, he shouldn't be there for a crime he didn't commit. If you want to retry him for being an accessory to murder, then yes, do that. However, I think most court systems would consider time served, like you said, uh, for the crime of, of an accessory. So I'm fine with him getting out. I think it makes sense. I was happy to see him getting out. I agree with you in the sense that I don't think they did the right thing because 
you are endangering more young girls. You know, it, it's not that this person's a murderer. And I get that he's your son, but he's a murderer and he should be in jail for that because, you know, these girls that he's killed, they're, they, they don't get to continue living their lives and he shouldn't either. However, I do understand where they were coming from. They want to protect their kid. And, you know, I, I, I get it. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I think it was the wrong decision. But in terms of the story and reading about this, I, it didn't bother me at all. I, I thought it was an interesting twist. I thought that it made sense. And I, I, it just didn't bother me. I know you have strong feelings about this. I, 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 it, only, only I think it made sense. the help he needed. Yeah. Yeah. He I mean, I, he, he, he can't get help. He's a sociopath. So it's clear he doesn't care about what he did. He wants to continue doing it. He's encouraging other people to do it. He's very arrogant that he got away with it. This isn't somebody that can be rehabilitated. And you're certainly not going to be, in my opinion, rehabilitated in prison, especially for somebody that does lack remorse. He, he didn't care at all. And it's something that is going to continue to build. That's something that's deep inside of him. He should be locked up just so that he can't do it again. Luckily, you know, at the end of the novel, we do see that justice. However, you know, I, I, I understood a parent's perspective to want to protect their kid from from harm. And that's how they believed they could do it. So I don't know. I mean, one thing that we didn't mention is that it's made clear in the book that in Louisiana during this time that the death penalty would have been an option. Uh, so I think that as a parent, you know, they were worried that he would be getting the death penalty. They don't want him to die, obviously. Um, but then that went out the window as soon as he took a plea deal and confessed himself the father. Mm -hmm. So why couldn't they have done that for the kid? Um, I mean, they might have been able to, especially right? since juvenile, he was young. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say they might not have trusted him to be able to navigate the situation. He was very young. I think he was like 17 years old. So to be able to navigate the situation with some maturity and foresight and, and planning that the father might be able to, I don't know. Well, the, the father trusted him by looking him in the face and said, be good. So he trusted that he was going to make a promise by him taking the rap for him. Right. So I don't know. I just have issues. with. I it. think that was just wishful thinking on the father's part. I don't think he was like, oh, you know, he's definitely he's going to listen to me. He's going to be good and stop killing girls. I They I only they only gave him the plea deal because he turned himself in. So that I mean, he still got six life sentences. I think, you know, from a, a parent's perspective as well, you can say, well, I've already lived a good majority of my life. My kid's 17 years old. I want him, I, I hope that he can be good. I hope that he can get better. And I want to give him a chance at that because if not, if he goes into jail at 17 years old, he's going to live his entire life and then he's going to die in jail. And which he deserves. I, for I, I agree. Those girls that won't I agree. Up. I agree that he does deserve it. But I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, you brought this up in previous novels where you can be blinded by love and love is not just, right. you know, between partners, but it's also between a parent and a child. And nobody wants to believe that their child is truly a monster. Nobody wants to right. believe that their child can't get better. And I think that that's where these parents were. They really believed that he could be better. He was, a, he was a kid and he would get better and they wanted to give him that chance. So I, I, I get it. I get where they were coming from. I, I don't agree with them. I don't think it was necessarily the right decision, but I get it. Yeah, I agree hundred percent what you said. I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. Of course, you know, I have a kid, I get it, but it's the same. It's, I, I look at it too. Like, and of course, like I, I don't agree what they did, but in my opinion, it's kind of like uh, when a kid messes up and you clean up their mess and then it doesn't teach them responsibility. So in this case, it was like, oh, you made a mess and I'll clean it for you. Don't worry about it. 
don't do it again. You know what I mean? It doesn't yeah. teach him responsibility. No. And he, he was but parents do that all the time. But yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, technically, he didn't do the other murders either. It was, you know, he was convincing somebody else to do it. So. Well, he was the mastermind behind it. Yeah. But he could still do that from behind prison. So be behind bars. I don't know. Well, that goes into the next thing, which is exactly what we're talking about, too. What consistent themes, if any, did you notice while reading A Flicker in the Dark? This is one. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. I feel like we've talked a lot about the themes of this book, including, you know, what is reality and understanding what is a monster and what is evil and what is not and learning about trust and just in general, the theme of family and what makes up a family, what brings a family together and what can tear a family apart. So I saw those themes a lot throughout this book. I know we already mentioned there was the theme of the the dark and the light, and then we saw the symbolism of the the lightning bugs, which was related to that. But overall, I think that specifically with Chloe, we saw a lot of like a, a journey to understanding the self and understanding the dark parts of yourself and understanding how your experiences can impact your future, your present, and being able to reflect back on how it also impacted you in the past and just looking at the dynamics of a family and what can really uh what what defines a family and how we take those those definitions with us into future relationships i also really liked the under you know the the difference between reality and not reality and understanding the paranoia and how our our experiences impact our feelings of paranoia in relationships and just in general and how we interact with other people um yeah we've been talking about them uh, there's a lot of past, present. I think that's the overall theme besides light and darkness and how um, what's in darkness is brought to light. That's a big theme in this because in the end, you know, that's all she's seeking really. And that's what she gets. She gets light shown onto this darkness inside of her about she never she was never able to rest because um, she was constantly she just didn't have closure because she didn't understand how her father could do such a heinous crime i mean she um she couldn't believe her father was capable of being the monster that the story opens with you know she didn't she couldn't believe that her dad who her who was her sanctuary doing all these fun things with her could be capable of this and in a lot of cases they are and in a lot of cases it's you know maybe a child can't see their dad as a monster because they you know look up to them and that's all they know but in this case she had a gut feeling that her dad wasn't a monster and he wasn't that was brought to light, and I really liked that. Um, I hope going forward that she's going to have at least some peace. Uh, now she's going to have to cope with the fact that her brother is the monster, and that's going to open up a, a whole new thing for her. But I do think that there'll be some light at the um, end of this tunnel for her, especially now that they, the real killer was revealed. So now um, you know, the girls' bodies will be recovered, and hopefully there'll be some peace to the families of um, their families as well, because it wasn't just her family that was ripped apart here. It was... Yeah six families there's also a power dynamics um there's always power dynamics as a theme <laughs> but there's the power struggle that she has um with the cops there's the power struggle that she has um you know in a lot of ways so and we've been saying a lot of that and then there's a blur between reality and what's real and what's is what isn't she even says um the drug that she specifically uses um makes it hard for her to decipher sometimes what's real and what's not and i think that was the appeal of the drug for her because she doesn't want to accept reality perhaps in a sense um it was valium yeah i don't know they called it something weird it i but think they uh, i thought they, they always have it a, they always have a weird name 
Well, oh. it, it's just yeah, an it anti. Yeah, something like D, like the Farafram or something. Oh uh, yeah, it might have been just the the like generic name. Sorry, my dogs are going crazy. But it was an anti-anxiety yeah. medication. Okay. So it, it's usually used to treat what she has, like anxiety and PTSD and things like that. I, I don't think she was necessarily using it to blur reality. I think it was just because she couldn't cope with her reality. Yeah. And it was her coping needed, mechanism. Yeah, yeah, she needed to suppress the the emotion. Um, but what I really liked in uh, you know, Willingham's writing here is that she helps you understand uh, the mind of an addict. So when, you know, she's having her issues and she passes her drawer and she puts her fingertips on the, the pills that are in the drawer and she says that she's having her issues, you know, blurring reality with stuff. And it, it also messes with your mind too because when she starts finding things in the closet, I'm like, all right, is she just picturing the past again? Did these girls even die? Is this in her head? You know, it starts making you second guess things. Um, So it, how, it was blurring my perspective as a reader and I liked that. Um, It also reminded me of Ravi. Remember from uh, A Good Girl's Guide to Murder, the fact that when his brother was accused um, or con assumed to have committed a crime, his family was shafted for that, in a sense. And mm -hmm. that reminded me a lot of her family going through a similar issue. Not necessarily the same, but in a way, you know. It was pretty uh, where similar. They were, yeah. yeah, they were throwing rocks through her window. They were putting, you know, spray paint on, on her house. And she just felt very unsafe. Um, just being associated with her dad. So I, a lot of a lot of themes. And I think that they were consistent. And I think that they were well-developed and projected. Yeah. All right. So given the ending, what do you see next for Chloe? So I love, I love the ending of this book. I love the way it was written. How, you know, she basically holds like a firefly in her hand and like releases it or something like that. Something similar. Does that extent? Um, I, I think that she's going to have a little bit of closure. I think she's going to get, maybe not right away, but I think she's going to try and, you know, reconnect with her dad. I think that it's going to uh, tie up a lot of loose ends for her, things that would cause her anxiety and angst. Oh, that was another thing, too. Um, there's moments in the book where she um, experiences anxiety, and I thought that that was very realistic, and especially the way it was written, um, made me anxious. <laughs> so I was like, oh, poor Chloe, I know. I know what you mean. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that hopefully going forward for Chloe like I said this is this book is about um a, a present that's haunted by her past and I'm hoping that her future will be hopeful and that she'll have um she'll have a better life going forward yeah I agree nutshell. with you yeah I I agree I think that the worst is behind her now all the truth is out in the open and I think she can really start on her healing journey at this point so she has the closure that she needs and she can start moving on I would like to see her rekindle a relationship with her dad and have them, you know, make up for that lost time. I don't know if maybe there would be some resentment there because she did lose a father for 20 years, but I think that Chloe will will forgive him ultimately. I think that they'll be able to have a relationship and I think that we're going to see Chloe maybe just coming more into herself. I think the end gives us that sense that she has hope again. She has hope for the future. She has hope for herself. She has hope for the life that she can now live with maybe a little bit more peace because I think up until this point, she hasn't really had a lot of peace in her life. She's kind of spent her whole life running from this dark past that she's had and trying to hide from, from people, because, you know, who she really is because of her associations from her past. And now she can finally feel comfortable being herself and, and moving forward with her life. I hope so. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on the title? 
a flicker in the dark here. Yeah, I liked um, I liked the title. I think it was appropriate for the novel. I think it's kind of poetic. And I think that it is a good representation of the content of the novel as well. Yeah, she even says it um, at some point in the novel towards the end. I, I don't have the exact page to reference or anything, but she says uh, she makes um, a reference to the title saying that it's a flicker in the dark. Basically, like you had originally said, I think, you know, she's been hopeful and she finally got the answers she was seeking and she was right for the gut feelings that she had. Um, and now her flicker in the dark hopefully just brings light to her, her life instead. So I really love the title. Like you said, I think it is poetic. Yeah, I think it's pretty. It's a pretty title. It is a pretty title. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I, I think it really is. <laughs> yeah. So going along with that, what do you think of the cover art? Do you think that it fits with the content and would you have changed anything? No, I love the cover art. I think it's perfect. Yeah. It sums up the book too, because it's all about fireflies on it and woods and yeah. darkness and secrets. <laughs> There's yeah. a lot going on there. Uh, I, I love the cover. I think it's pretty and I wouldn't have changed anything. Yeah. I, I really like the cover too. You know, when I first started reading it, I was like, does this cover make sense? But as you start reading the novel, you're like, oh, it does. And it is very pretty too. I, I agree with you. Yes. For a thriller, it actually, it's very peaceful to look at, in my opinion. Like looking at it feels peaceful for me. So I, I liked that in particular about the book, but it was very pretty. I liked the fireflies especially. Yeah, usually the thrillers give us like the yeah. silent patient, for example. There's something creepy going on and you're just like, ooh. Yeah. Even like with the housemaid when we did that, mm -hmm. and like it's like an eye looking through the thing. This mm. is like calm and chill. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I want to go in that scene. And then you read it and you're like, I don't want to be there. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's do the fun stuff. So what song would you think for this book? Dancing in the dark. Wait, how does that song even go? Dancing in the dark, though. By Even though we, even if we were dancing in, in the, the dark. dark. Nur, 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 nur. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't okay. think of that one at first. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. That's funny because your mind went to dark. I went to monster again. And this one, <laughs> I kept thinking, I'm friends with the monster. <laughs> and I'm like, no, no, not that one. Um, I'm going to go with monster mash because A, it's appropriate for the time. And also, this is a mash of, of monsters up in this book. Okay. <laughs> this book is a monster mash. Do the monster mash. All right. So what nail color sums up this book? I think a midnight blue. Oh, I like it. And it goes with the cover, too. Yeah, I think that's why I thought of it. <laughs> I thought of neon green because of the fireflies. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. I like that. You're, you're in the darkness. I'm the light. Yeah, I know. We keep... <laughs> I'm in the dark here. I'm in the dark here. How about a cocktail? A cocktail. For this one, I'm going to go like, it has to be a glass of white wine <laughs> or maybe red wine. I don't know. A glass of wine because she drinks it a lot in this book. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I'm going dirty martini because okay. I think Cooper is a dirty martini. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about an item of clothing? For an item of clothing, I'm going to say like a dark blue tight turtleneck. I love how you always incorporate the colors and you're so specific with it. Because it's what I'm thinking. A turtleneck because <laughs> it's annoying as fuck. I hate turtlenecks. I like turtlenecks if it's really cold out. But otherwise, yeah, they are. They're very itchy. But I don't know why. It just, for some reason, I imagine Chloe wearing a turtleneck throughout, like, this entire book. Even though it's <laughs> summer, it makes no sense at all. Get me out of this! <laughs> it makes no sense at all. Uh, 
All right, I'm going to say the well. The first thing that came to my mind is what I'm supposed to say. So a police uniform. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I can see that. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. And it's yeah. like one of those, you know, small town ones with the the brown, right, with the dark brown stripe, like the old school, like one. a sheriff. Yeah, like the old school sheriff. What up, ma'am? You yeah. know. All right. <laughs> what up, ma'am? What up, ma'am? <laughs> Having a house party, creating a, <laughs> creating a disturbance. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> Sorry, you only asked for it's only an item of clothing, not a whole scene. I liked it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, ma'am. What what meal would sum up this book? <laughs> oh my god. god help oh, us. a meal. Hmm. I have no idea. I'm gonna say maybe like a baked chicken with some potatoes. I don't know why. Wow. I don't know why. It really should be is, something southern, and it's not. <laughs> is Chloe a baked chicken? Maybe. And and all her issues are potatoes. <laughs> Damn, what? Alex. What? You got to play the real over there. Why am I still doing this voice? All right. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say, um, how about some jambalaya? Is that a thing? Okay. Jambalaya? Yeah. Jambalaya is good. Yeah. Oh, it's either that or gumbo. Something very, okay. very Southern. Yeah. But I guess, aren't they both soups? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. All right. So a soup. Okay. <laughs> a soup of, of trauma. A soup no of soup trauma. for you. <laughs> All right. And how about an animal? An animal? I can't remember if I've said this for another novel, but I'm going to say snake because I think of Cooper and he was a, a slippery snake. A slithery snake. Snake. Slithery snake. snake. Dumbledore. Dumbledore. <laughs> Not even related because you said snake. I know. Whatever. Um, all right. Well, I mean, I could be obvious here and say a firefly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but maybe that's a little obvious. I guess um, because they're in the woods, it would have to be like some kind of woodland creature. You're a woodland creature. Yeah, but all woodland creatures are cute. And this is not a cute novel. I can't. I, first, I was like chipmunk, squirrel. No. What's the, first thing a, that, what's the first thing that comes to your mind right now? Say it. A bear. Okay, there you go. But they're cute. <laughs> the bear. Yeah, they're cute, but ferocious. I guess. They're, they're, they're really cute, though. The little teddy bears until they're chasing you. <laughs> It just is like, oh, come here, cute little bear, and it just stares your face off. <laughs> okay, so her past is a bear. <laughs> there you go. Her. There you go. Nice. And it's like, rah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the sound effect that you didn't need. <laughs> oh my god! All right, so help. All right. Would you scoop or skip this? And how many golden scoops would you give it? I mean, I do have some issues with it, but I, I guess I would scoop. I would recommend you read it and check it out for yourself. I really liked her writing. I thought she mm -hmm. did a really good job writing. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I didn't like the things that I predicted. It was predictable to me, but I did like the roller coaster ride effect that she had where you couldn't really trust your narrator and you weren't really sure if you were right and you were second guessing a lot. Yeah. So from a reading perspective, that was fun to read. You know, I really I would have took out Tyler entirely. I hated him. I didn't <laughs> think he served a purpose. I think it should have just been coop-de-doop, coop and <laughs> and that would have been it. But uh, I would give this book a four golden scoop, um, which is high for a book I never want to read again. You know, but who reads thrillers again? You know what happens unless yeah. there's signs that you want to check out that maybe you missed. Yeah. Um, this isn't a book I would want to read again, and I do have some issues with it. But overall, I thought that it was a good read, and I would recommend it. 
Yeah. I'm going to give this book a 4.5. Um, I did originally give it a five and then I was talking to my dad about it and he was like, I just don't understand how Sophie was living on her own, like at 13 years old. And I was like, you're right. They never explain it. So I had a dock. I had a dock half a point for that because I, I didn't dock a full point because I didn't even think about it. <laughs> so it had to be brought to my attention. So it obviously didn't bother me that much in my reading, but after reflecting on it and having it brought to my attention, that is really annoying. But aside from that, I did really enjoy Stacey Willingham's writing. I thought she did a really good job. I thought the characters were dynamic. I thought they were realistic. I really enjoyed the plot. I thought this was a fun book to read. It was some heavy content at times, but it was still very enjoyable. It did keep me guessing. I did find it somewhat predictable, but I didn't mind that. I was actually relieved with the twist because I really thought at some point it was going to be Daniel and I hated that idea and I was going to be, I would have rated it a lot lower if that had been the case. So I, I enjoyed it. I would definitely recommend it, especially if you're a fan of thrillers and yeah, I give it four and a half golden scoops. Do you agree that Tyler had no impact at all on the plot? Mm. I mean, if you took it I, out, it would be the same. I book. don't, I don't think it impacts the plot. I do think it speaks to Cooper's character a bit. I think it gives him a little bit more dimension. But in terms okay. of the plot, I no, I don't think it affects the plot. I, but I do think it affects the the character building for Cooper specifically. Okay, good point. But also, if we rewrote the novel, I would take him out. Right. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Listen, I don't know your real name. Is it Cooper? Do I call you Aaron? If I can't guess, get out. All right? You're out. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah, so no, let's well, get out. Yeah, there you have it. That's Flicker in the Dark. Go read it. <laughs> all right. We're in the dark here. Next Tuesday, October 31st, we'll be reading and reviewing Mary and Awaking of Tara by Nat Cassidy. Join us on our first spooky special episode for our thoughts on the horror novel. And then join us again this Thursday, October 26th, for another party episode. And don't forget to mark your calendar for our next Book of the Month episode, which will air tomorrow, Wednesday, October 25th. We'll be reading and discussing Catriona Ward's horror novel, The Last House on Needless Street. Ooh. And don't forget about our next bonus episode, Date and Book to be Announced. If you haven't read the upcoming books but would like to, Head on over to the link in our bio and get a copy for yourself so that you can participate in future discussions. You don't pay anything extra, but if you make a purchase using our link, we get a small commission. So thank you so much for supporting us. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, it would really mean a lot to us if you would leave a positive review on Spotify, Apple, or whichever streaming service you use. We would really appreciate it also if you could spread the word by telling friends and family about our podcast. And of course, we want to say thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate each and every one of you. Yep. We also want to remind everyone to be on the lookout for our live events on TikTok. Yep, we'll be doing some live events soon and we will post upcoming dates on our socials. If you're just tuning in, this is what you can expect from our podcast. We're going to be releasing new episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. So be sure to check out our socials for updates and also some bonus content. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and other platforms. Click on the link in our bio for access to all of our socials, our website, and other links. We encourage you to reach out to us with thoughts, ideas, questions, and feedback. You can email us at bookswithcooks at gmail.com. You can also find our full book reviews on Goodreads. These links will also be available at the link in bio. If no one told you today, you're important and valued. You belong here. You're doing great. And we believe in you. Now let's turn the page and put a fork in it because we're done with this one. 
All right, let's tell you why we chose this book. A Flicker in the Dark is a New York Times best-selling edge-of-your-seat thriller, which was published in 2022. It was on, why did I say it like fish? Why, why did I <laughs> You sound like, what's his push. name? I know, William Sean, Shatner. Sean, Sean Connery, I thought. Now, oh, you sounded like William Shatner. Yeah. Which was published in 2022. Like, who's there's a thriller on the wing, fourth wing. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> there's, a, there's a flicker in the dark. <laughs> it's an edge of your sheet thriller. <laughs> Oh my god, I'm starting over. Start it over. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. What is that word? Usually <laughs> G4C, 4D. Stop. What is that? Let's tell, you. <laughs> Let's tell you why we chose this book. Oh my god. Let's tell you why we chose this book. A Flicker in the Dark is a New York Times. Why do I keep saying it like that? Flicker in the dark. <laughs> I don't know. I'm so stupid and annoying right now. <laughs> I'm in the dark here.